Um, anyway, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 8 through 10. So you may want to have it out in front of you, your pages from your book or the Bible. Um, we're going to skip around a little bit, but hopefully not too crazy. Um, while you're doing that, I want to pray for us one more time. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for 1 Samuel. Thank you for um, giving us your word and helping us to learn from it, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I like to be in charge. <laughs> That's like the understatement of the year. Um, this isn't a new revelation for me. It started probably at birth, but the best example of this was when I was in pre-K. I was the type of child who really enjoyed being in charge. I wanted to be the teacher's helper, but actually, I wanted to be the teacher. <laughs> like most wise teachers, my pre-K teacher, Miss Patterson, used this to her advantage. If any of you have worked with children, you know that the best way to keep a child like me from bossing everyone around is to give me a job. This would focus my attention and help me build leadership skills without just telling everyone what to do all the time. Well, one day, Miss Patterson was going to be out. In an effort to help the substitute, she left her a note, telling her that if she needed anything, I would be able to help. The substitute's mistake? She told me about it. <laughs> she said something like, your teacher said you could help me, and I heard you get to be in charge today. That was the best day. Honestly, I don't remember that much, but I know me, and I know it was the best. Then, Miss Patterson comes back, and uh, my mom gets a phone call. Apparently, the substitute left a note about me, and apparently I told some sweet little four-year-old girl that if she hadn't figured out how to use scissors by now, she might as well go home. <laughs> True story. <laughs> the power had gotten to my head. I, at four years old, had decided I knew what was best. Ever since then, God has been proving to me that I don't. Can any of you relate to that? Have any of you ever felt like you knew better than someone? a boss or a parent. Learning to submit to authority is a life skill. It starts early. We have parents and then teachers and then bosses or PTO presidents or someone like that. We live in a country with laws that we have to submit to. We understand that if everyone did what they thought was best without any centralized authority, it would be chaos. As believers, we also know the one who created us to submit to his authority. Our desire to be in charge isn't a human problem. It's a sin problem. Here's my main point for today, and I'm going to say it twice because I know that I talk fast. Because God gave us a perfect king, I can submit to the authority of God. Again, because God gave us a perfect king, I can submit to the authority of God. We're going to outline our lesson like this. We're going to talk about Israel, then we're going to talk about Jesus, and then we're going to talk about us, starting with Israel. At the end of 1 Samuel 7, we see that the Lord has delivered Israel from the hands of the Philistines after they repent and ask Samuel to intercede for them. I want to back up just a little bit more. Many of you were here with us when we studied the book of Judges. Judges consists of multiple stories following the same pattern. Israel does things they shouldn't do. God executes justice by oppressing them. They cry out to God. God raises up a deliverer to save them. Over and over again, the Lord has shown his people that he fights for them and that he wins. Fast forward to Samuel 8. Here, this pattern has changed a little bit. Instead of being oppressed by outsiders, Israel seems to be oppressed by Israel. We see that with Eli's sons and now with Samuel's sons. The Lord has taken care of the Philistines for now, but Israel is crying out because of a problem from within. And they're not wrong. They do need help. 
Samuel's getting old, and there doesn't seem to be any quality leadership being developed. Their concerns are valid. However, even though they have seen over and over and over and over again that the Lord will deliver them, they decide this time they're going to change the plan. This time, they know the solution that they need. Not God, but a human king. Naturally, a man of God like Samuel is concerned. Let's read 1 Samuel 8, 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. I mentioned that Israel wasn't wrong in asking for help. They really weren't even wrong in asking for a king. The issue lies in their motivation. Like Anna told us last week, the heart behind their ask is the problem. Instead of relying on God, who had proven over and over and over and over again that he fights and wins for his people, they think they have a better answer. Not only that, their real motivation is revealed in their request. Verse 5, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They want to be like everyone else, but God has told them not to be. They want to be in charge. Samuel, Samuel obeys God and tells the people the full implications of what this would mean for them in 1 Samuel 8, 10 through 18. And they say, we want it anyway. I'm kind of a superhero nerd, not like comic book level, but like I really like the movies. So I don't know what level that is, but that's where I'm at. Um, I like all the Marvel stuff, but I so badly want the DC stuff to go to go well. And I'm just constantly disappointed. I'm a Batman fan. A few weeks ago, I noticed a superhero movie that I hadn't seen yet. It's called The Flash. It's a DC movie. Um, I hope you don't mind, but I'm probably going to spoil some of the movie for you. Barry, that's The Flash's real name discovers that he can run so fast he could go back in time. He decides he needs to go back in time to save his mom, who was murdered when he was a kid. He consults with Batman, the leader of the Justice League. Batman is older and has been at the super thing, superhero thing a long time. He's got more experience and understanding than Barry does. Batman advises Barry not to go back to save his mother. Batman tells him that he can't possibly understand all of the implications of what he wants to do. Batman sees the big picture. So, Barry takes his advice and goes home. Just kidding. Naturally, Barry thinks, what does he know? And goes back to save his mom. He is successful in saving his mom, but quickly comes to discover the absolute mess he has made by doing so. So, who does he go to for help? Batman. The person who told him in the beginning not to go back in time. Like Barry, Israel thinks they know better. They think that they know what they need. They don't need God. They need a human king, just like everybody else. As we continue studying 1 Samuel, we'll see just how well this human king worked out for everyone. Let's take a quick look at the king they're getting. 1 Samuel 9, we're going to be in uh, 9 and 10 now. 1 Samuel 9, verses 1 and 2 says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Athia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Saul was wealthy, handsome, and tall. First Samuel 9, verses 6 and 7 say, But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring to the man? Saul doesn't seem to have any knowledge of Samuel. 
1 Samuel 10, verse 1, says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Saul is anointed for a specific purpose, to reign over Israel and save them from their surrounding enemies. 1 Samuel 10, verses 14 through 16 say, Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Maybe Saul's being humble. The jury's still out on that one. 1 Samuel 10, verses 20 through 24. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clans of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Saul was found hiding from his calling. Notice that we're not told anything about Saul's devotion to the Lord or his character. We're just given some examples that lead to some speculation. This is going to go great. Spoiler alert. It doesn't. Israel has rejected God's authority, and we'll get to see the consequences of that as we continue our study. It's also worth noting that God makes it obvious to us and to Israel that he has chosen Saul, not the people. He's giving them exactly what they want, a tall, handsome man to lead them. Remember our main point. Because God gave us a perfect king, I can submit to the authority of God. This leads us to our next section, Jesus. Saul is not the perfect king God gives us. Saul was intended to make Israel groan for the true king that would come. Saul is intended to make us yearn for the day that the true and perfect king reigns on earth. Saul is not a picture of Jesus. Instead, he shows us exactly what we don't need and that ultimately, we don't know what we need. But our creator does. God sees the big picture. In fact, nowhere did we read. God was surprised that Israel wanted a king or get any indication of shock from God. In your homework, you saw that God had made provisions for a king and how that king should be way before this. In Deuteronomy, God laid out what a king of Israel should be. If you're looking for someone to relate to in this story, relate to Israel. But before we talk about how we are like Israel, remember how we are different. We have the perfect king. He has come and is coming again. He reigns humbly, justly, and has already defeated our enemies. Let's take a quick look at the king we get. Similar to the quarterback stats you might see when watching football on TV, I'm tempted to line Jesus up with Saul. Isaiah 53.2 says, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Unlike Saul, we're told that Jesus wasn't desirable to look at. He isn't described as handsome or tall. In Luke 2, we're told the story of when Mary and Joseph lost Jesus as a child. When they found him, he says in Luke 2:49, "Why do you 
Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Unlike Saul, we know that Jesus was concerned about the things of God from the very beginning. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Similar to Saul, Jesus was anointed for a specific purpose, but a much grander purpose than Saul's. Jesus didn't come to save God's people from their earthly enemies, but from the enemies of sin and death. Philippians 2, 5-7 says, Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Unlike Saul, there's no question of Jesus' humility. What is humbler than leaving glory to become an infant? or hanging on a cross in the place of your people. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, Jesus is in the garden and he prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Unlike Saul, Jesus isn't hiding from his calling, but embraces it head on. What a perfect king. Remember our main point, because God gave us a perfect king, I can submit to the authority of God. Jesus is the perfect king that God gave us. That leads us to our last section, S. I just finished a biography of Martin Luther. It is a page turner. Um, In all seriousness, it really is interesting, but it's going to take you a while. Um, You probably know that name, especially if you've been around Grace of Anne for longer than like an hour. Um, Martin Luther started the Reformation in Germany in the 1500s. He had noticed that the church was doing things that did not come from Scripture, specifically indulgences. Luther recognized that the Catholic Church had put the Pope's authority equal to Scripture. His main goal was to guide the church to be under the authority of Scripture once again. He had no intention of separating from the Catholic Church, just of bringing it back under the authority of Scripture. But this action, questioning the authority of the Pope, led to him being exiled, labeled a heretic, and even actual war. He lived most of his life expecting to be captured and burned alive. But he did not back down. He held fast to the truth in God's word. After he died, and he wasn't martyred, the emperor and the pope believed their problem was over. But his ideas had spread and grown so much that the emperor gave in and began to recognize the Lutheran church as legitimate, opening the door to the many denominations of Christianity we have today. Let's get back to 1 Samuel. How can we relate to Israel in this story? Why is this relevant? We're living in a culture that has rejected God's authority and is tempting us to reject him too. We're seeing things like, I know that our bodies are designed intentionally and show us that there are only two genders, but I don't think it's a big deal if someone says there are more or changes their body how they want to. I know that God says marriage is between one man and one woman, but I don't think it's a big deal if two men get married. Love is love. I know babies are alive, but a woman should get to choose if the pregnancy is going to be inconvenient for her. What God says is true, but saying true things can be unkind. Even the way these statements are phrased shows a lack of respect for God's authority. We can model our statements after Jesus' own. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like, You have heard that it was said, but I say, let's apply this to these statements from culture. You have heard that it is possible for there to be more than two genders, but God says he created us male and female. You have heard that marriage can be between any two people who love each other, but God says marriage is to be between one man and one woman. You have heard that abortion is okay if the pregnancy is inconvenient for the mother, but God says that all human beings were made in his image. You have heard that holding to truth is unkind, but God says that there is nothing more loving than telling the truth. 
God is our authority, and through scripture has revealed himself to us. Society has been questioning and rejecting God's authority for that of sinful man for the entirety of civilization. As we read in Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. God is not surprised by what is happening now. He's not surprised by the rejection of him as king. But what are we supposed to do? Two things come to mind. First, stand strong. Choose God over man with eternity in mind. As believers, we live in a way that honors God as our ultimate authority. Another book I'm reading puts it this way. Culture is never neutral, and neither can our response to culture be neutral. This same book also says, in failing to confront these things, we add our tacit approval to them. Neutrality is not an option. Apathy is not an option. No, we can't take on every fight, but we can speak truth every day to ourselves, to our families, to other people we come in contact with. Second, be encouraged. As Martin Luther found, truth will not always be popular, but we can choose to submit to our creator who has provided the perfect king and knows what is best for us. This king will not fail us, and his opinion of us matters so much more than that of sinful human beings. Because God gave us a perfect king, I can submit to the authority of God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this time together. Thank you again for your word, for all that you teach us through it, Lord. May we continue to submit to your authority as king, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.